Hello and welcome to the Church Can Happen Anywhere podcast. I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor at Peace Tree. We are following up our Ash Wednesday episode with the first Sunday of Lent. This is a time of year when we reflect, repent, and return to God so that we might understand and appreciate the miracle of Easter in a more meaningful way. This year, we're using a new book written by Amy Jill Levine called Witness at the Cross, A Beginner's Guide to Holy Friday. To help guide this season, our worship services, our small group studies, our Thursday morning Bible study. And so we're going to be using this book over the next six weeks, following all of the chapters to highlight the different eyewitnesses to the crucifixion. So wherever you are right now, running errands, at the gym, at home, on your way to work, I hope that you'll hear this message from Mark chapter 15, that you'll consider who the bystanders and the scoffers were who taunted Jesus that day, and you'll think about what it means for you to stand by Jesus right here and now. Friends, have you ever witnessed something so shocking that you couldn't put the image of it out of your mind, even if you tried. Maybe it was uh, a gruesome injury. I think about some of the sports injuries that we've maybe witnessed by watching uh, a game broadcast over television, or maybe even for some of you who play sports, you've seen some pretty uh, nasty falls and scrapes and bruises and broken bones and everything in between. Something so shocking that you couldn't put it out of your head. Maybe you've witnessed a terrible car accident. I feel like there was something that our police were responding to here recently within the last uh, 12 to 18 hours. The fact that my dad is standing here amongst us, and many of you know what occurred two years ago and how he survived a head-on collision. I can't get the image of the car twisted and bent and smashed in out of my mind. Maybe you've seen something so shocking that's not quite as serious as those things. Maybe you've seen your home team that's ranked lose on their home court. (laughs) When they're favored to win or their home field, when everybody expects them to win, and you see all the kids and students and uh, the adult fans that bleed the school colors in that surrender cobra pose, y'all know what I'm talking about? Surrender cobra. It's one of the worst poses in sports, Uh, especially when when you're on the receiving end. Now, Nick, I know you're happy. Yeah. We won't talk about what happened last night, but you know what? Season's not over. I'll tell you this, as a child, when I would see the cross, you know, we had the image for the series up here, that's a a different type of cross, but anytime I would see the cross, when I heard about the crucifixion, I I just thought, "This this is such a shocking thing, to die in this way, to be put to death. I'd always imagined that it was equally uh, 
unthinkable, unfathomable, unfathomable. I can't even say that word. That's how, that's how shocking it is. For everybody present, just to think about what was happening before them as they looked up there and saw Jesus breathing his last breaths. But then I got older and, and you know, I, I'm thankful my parents brought me to church and had a great children's program to go to and a youth program to go to. And, and I was taught different things about the crucifixion, the length of the nails, the way they maybe would have bound his arms, the way he would have had a, a little stool to put his feet on, the way he would have had to push himself up just to fill his lungs up with air, just to keep on breathing, just to keep on living. The lashes he received across his back, the crown of thorns that they placed on his head. And I was even more convinced that this was something unlike anything the world had ever seen, this death that Jesus experienced. But then, as I would listen to different preachers and as I would attend classes in school, I learned that this actually was the way the Romans enjoyed killing people. The crucifixion was the empire's go-to means of execution. We learned that Jesus wasn't the only one who died that day. There were two others one on his left and one on his right on that Good Friday. We learned that this was, in the eyes of all involved, a standard procedure crucifixion. Not as shocking as we would think it should be. Here's just another revolutionary, just another religious zealot who's mouthing off and he's paying the price using our go-to means of execution. Not as shocking as we would think, at least for them. But we know the truth. We know that something happened that day. We know that this death was different. We know that the world changed in the moment of Jesus' sacrifice. We know that resurrection was just waiting around the corner for them, that Jesus' friends, his disciples, the ones who were closest to him, had to just wait on a few more days. They just needed to be patient that everything would be revealed to them. But they didn't know any of that. Not his mother, not his disciples, not even his beloved disciple, Especially not the crowd, a crowd that was made up of soldiers and priests and scoffers and naysayers, and in some cases, bystanders. Some who maybe were passing by on that fateful day. Some of those bystanders maybe watched on in glee. Others who maybe looked on as we would have in shock as the occupying force that had moved into their country had killed yet another one of their friends and countrymen. 
We're going to be examining the crucifixion and the events of Holy Friday from multiple angles during this Lenten season, considering all who witnessed Jesus' death on a cross, how they responded to everything that took place, how they looked upon the Son of God and the Son of Man. And today, we're going to be considered those who stood by, the bystanders. And we'll concentrate on one person in particular. Our pastor's Bible study got a little preview of this. And those that are reading the book, maybe you've downloaded it to your e-device. You maybe know who we're about to hear from. But for this Sunday, we're going to turn to Mark chapter 15. We're going to use verses 15, and then we're going to jump to verse 21 and go through 32. I invite you to follow along on the screen. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas for them, and after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. They compelled a passerby who was coming in from the country to carry his cross. It was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Then they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his clothes among them, casting lots to decide what each should take. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews... And with him, they crucified two bandits, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests, along with the scribes, were also mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross now, so that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also taunted him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Passers-by shouted insults. The religious leaders uh, were giving each other high fives. You know, they're taking a victory lap, lap around the place of the skull. They're squealing in excitement. In your face, Jesus! I mean, it's, it's messed up. They were happy that their scheme had worked. They finally got rid of this guy who was causing trouble for them. He was also threatening their power. He was threatening their influence. He was threatening their rule. But we got rid of him. He's gone now. All of these different passers-by, all that were in the crowd, all with different emotions, all looking at it from different perspectives. But what about this man who's named in one verse an out-of-towner named Simon? 
How did he witness the crucifixion? And why is he important to the story? Important enough to get a shout out from Mark. Mark, who wrote his gospel fast and furious, trying to get it to, to, the, to the presses. Essentially, a passion narrative with an extended opening. That's what seminary professors call the gospel of Mark. Why was Simon so important that Mark decided to use ink to write his name down? Now, he may have just been passing by, but he wasn't on the outskirts of the crowd. Instead, he was ushered to the front row. And, he, and we read that he was compelled, compelled to carry the cross of Jesus Christ. He carried it the remainder of the way until they reached the execution site. I've seen, maybe like many of you, different uh, movies that have been made about Jesus' life. Jesus of Nazareth, uh, Son of God. Even like strange ones, The Last Temptation of Christ with Willem Dafoe. That was, that was weird. But what about the, the greatest story ever told? I believe it was uh, Sidney Poitier who played Simon. To think about Jesus trying his best to carry that cross. And yet now here is this stranger who is brought into this very intimate moment and compelled, forced to take that cross beam, forced to walk the rest of the distance to Golgotha, to Calvary. The Greek word that Mark uses in verse 21 is the same word that Matthew uses in his gospel when Jesus teaches this lesson. If anyone sues you for your shirt, then you give them your coat as well. And if anyone forces you, if anyone compels you to walk with them one mile, then walk with them two. You've heard that saying? It's the same word. If anyone compels you or forces you to go one mile, go with them too. And here we see Simon being compelled to take up the cross. In this day and time, in ancient times, you'd see couriers who were on royal orders to deliver messages uh, across the kingdom, across the empire. And they could compel somebody to uh, lend them aid or transportation or any type of service that they deemed necessary. If, if you watch uh, uh, like cop movies, it's like when they're on a foot chase and then all of a sudden uh, the guy who's fleeing or the gal who's fleeing jumps on a motorbike and they take off. And then you get somebody who says, stop! I'm a police officer. I need this car right now. It's like, you need, no, this is my Porsche. You're not taking my, my sports. No, I need this car right now. See, the, see this badge? No, I'm going to have to see some more identification, please. How do I know that you're really a cop? And this isn't just a, some plastic from Party City, right? But that's like, this is the same idea. I'm compelling you to give me your transportation. Back in, in these days, uh, hey, I'm going to need that horse because I need to take this message over to the next town. If you were a Roman soldier, you could compel somebody to uh, take up your armor and walk that one mile. Jesus says to go a second mile with them. But here Simon is being made to carry Jesus's cross. So why Simon? 
Was he just a normal bystander? I mean, he wasn't a member of this mob that's hurling insults at the Messiah. He wasn't a member of that top 1% of the top 1% elite class lording their faith over others while putting down the king of kings and the lord of lords. He's just a guy going about his business. When all of a sudden, this responsibility is thrust upon him. Have you ever been in that situation? Some of you who are in, in business or you've gone to different conferences or workshops and you look at the Stephen uh, Covey stuff, and it's like, well, you really should be planning ahead and doing things that are important to you, but how often in the, the course of your workday does somebody burst into your office with something that's not important to you, but it's important to them, and it doesn't need to be done two weeks from now, it has to be done right now. This job is being thrust upon you. You need to help me with this right now. He had no say. He was compelled. He was forced. He was made to carry the cross. So he might have been passing by that day. He might have been just standing near the route to Golgotha. But here's the thing. After completing this task, he doesn't fade into obscurity, right? We're talking about him 2,000 years later. His name is written in the Gospels. He doesn't fade into obscurity. He could have. It, heck, if it was you or me, we might have. I, like, I don't want to be tied to this. I don't want to be remembered in this way. I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to fly under the radar for the rest of my life. His encounter with Jesus changed him. He's known to Mark's readers not just the Simon of Cyrene, but he's known as Alexander and Rufus's father. I know we've got some parents in here today that you are known as your kids' parents, right? That's Jaden and Wyatt's mom. That's Madison and Micah's dad. That's Harper and Calder's parents. He's Alexander and Rufus's dad. That community knew who Simon was because of what his sons had accomplished after him. But here's the thing, they had to find out somehow. They had to find out from someone. These were Jesus followers who were leaders in the early Christian movement. And for me, it's not hard to make that jump to say that they were introduced to the living water, to the bread of life by their own father. Simon is the one who shares the message with them. So dads and moms, if you're in here today, if you're watching online right now, are you introducing and continuing to introduce and tell the story of Jesus to your children? Are you teaching them what the Savior did for us on the cross? Have you shared with them how, how your personal encounter with Jesus has changed your life? The way Simon surely shared that personal encounter with his own sons. I pray that you are doing this. I pray that if you're not doing it enough or you feel like I'm not doing it enough that after today you will, you'll consider how you preach the gospel and teach your children. It's easy to be a bystander who just complains. 
to be somebody who shakes their fists? Have you ever seen someone get so mad that they just start like the spittle, like starts going everywhere? Yeah. Where's your manager? <laughs> I mean, bystanders, right? I mean, st another way to look at that word, what we've been talking about this morning is standing by. Have you ever been put on standby at an airport? Have you ever seen someone put on standby at an airport? I booked this flight three months ago. What do you mean I'm on standby? I'm sorry, sir, the flight is full. We would be happy to offer you a voucher if you would take the next flight. Well, when's the next flight leave? Tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. We'll put you up in a hotel. A good hotel? No, the crappy one <laughs> that's connected to the airport. <laughs> that person that just got put on standby, yeah. They're like the mob at the crucifixion, shaking their fists, yelling so loud that spittle starts flying everywhere. It's easy to be a bystander who complains, who's upset, who is unhappy. I think it's harder to be a bystander who is waiting in the wings, who is literally standing by, not standing by in the sense of, I'm letting this horrific, horrific thing happen and I'm just standing by and not doing anything about it. I want you to think about being a bystander who stands ready, waiting to serve, waiting for instructions. And maybe that means that you're prepared more than the next person. Maybe you're prepared for that responsibility. But maybe you're a bystander who is ready, who is willing to work for the good of God's kingdom, and still responsibility is thrust upon you. And you have to move fast, and you have to move now. There was no way for Simon to rescue Jesus that day, to take away his burden, to stop time, to prevent the crucifixion from occurring. But Jesus certainly saved Simon's life on Good Friday. He saved your life. He saved my life. He saved our children's lives. You might feel as though you're just standing by today, waiting for God to show up, to do something in your life. But as you wait, as you stand by, I hope you're asking yourself this question. Am I willing to take up my own cross in order to follow Jesus? He taught that if anyone were to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So how will you follow? Will it be at a safe distance? 
Will it be at arm's length? Or will you follow closely? Harold, what's that favorite hymn of yours? Just a closer walk with thee. Closer, each day closer, each day closer. Some disciples, when they would follow their rabbis, would follow so closely that they would be covered in the dust of their teacher. They didn't have any paved roads. They didn't have asphalt like the, the road that they're laying out here and steamrolling, and I keep wondering when they're going to finish. They didn't have those smooth roads. They walked around in dirt, rocks, sand, just a closer walk with thee. If you're going to follow Jesus, are you going to keep Jesus at arm's length? He's not going anywhere. Are you going to distance yourself? Try to fade into obscurity? Are you going to follow so closely that you're covered in his dust? If you're going to take up your own cross and imitate Christ and follow him, are you going to be covered in his blood, in his spit, in his tears, in his sweat. To think Simon was that close. To think that maybe that sweat would have fallen upon him, upon his head, like the waters of baptism. He was baptized by blood that day. Will you stand by waiting for God to call you up to the front lines? Or are you going to watch the God of the universe walk past you I pray that you say yes to the life-changing work that God is ready to do in you. You may feel as though, I said yes. I said yes a month ago, a year ago, a lifetime ago. I hope each day, just as John Wesley would teach us, you would say yes each morning when you wake up. A, a new yes to what God is doing in your heart for what God is doing in your life. On Good Friday, some of those bystanders, they watched on with glee. Others watched on in horror. But one man took up the cross and he followed Jesus to Calvary. So thank God for Simon of Cyrene. Thank God for his witness for the message that he took from that personal encounter and shared with his children. And thank God for the example that he sets for us today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Church can happen anywhere, and I pray that God is speaking to you today. I know it's tough to make it to an in-person service every week, so be at peace about that. When you do have 
that elusive free weekend when you can make it to a Sunday morning service, I hope you'll take the opportunity to gather with others this Lent. Maybe that's at Peace Tree, maybe that's with another faith community, but I hope that you'll find the time to worship God with others during this season because it's all about self-reflection. It's about prayer and fasting and spiritual disciplines. And I believe it's better to have that community of love and forgiveness to surround you, to support you as you take on these practices, as you make sacrifices, and as you process the tough questions that Lent can bring about in your life. So we have a pastor's Bible study every Thursday at 10.30 a.m. It's inside the Peace Tree Church building on East Shelby Drive. That's where you can find me and Dr. Harry Durbin. And speaking of Dr. Durbin, if you're in the Memphis metro area, you can join us this upcoming Sunday morning for our large group worship when Dr. Durbin will be preaching this weekend and continuing our Witness at the Cross series. He's going to be taking a closer look at the thieves who hung on either side of Jesus on Good Friday. A nursery is provided. We have opportunities for your kids to experience the love of God and to have fun with others in a safe, friendly environment. But in the meantime, you can get on our email list by filling out the form on our website, peacetree.church. This will help you stay up to date on everything happening at Peace Tree. And be sure to follow us on social by searching for Peace Tree UMC. God bless you, friend. We'll see you soon.